Welcome everybody to the latest in the Transmission Line, our podcast from Soundtech, where we talk about all things to do with interconnection and connectors, and in this case, engineering. I am Dave, your host, and I'm joined once again by Matt. Hi, everybody. Uh, we're really excited today to be joined by Charlotte Blair of ANSYS, and we're going to be talking about the topic of women in engineering. Um, I know that Charlotte's got um, some uh, deeply held opinions about how we need to get people into engineering, so I'm sure there's going to be tons to talk about. Charlotte, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. And so uh, our first question, Matt, I think that you've got the, the right question for this. Yeah, no, and, and Charlotte, I just want to second uh, Dave's uh or David's invitation. We're so happy that, uh, that you're joining us, joining us here uh, on the uh, transmission line, and we look forward to our conversation today. So, Charlotte, we've crossed paths multiple times in, in our careers uh, at various trade shows and women in engineering events and, and things like that. Uh, you've become a very accomplished electromagnetic engineer, and uh, we congratulate you. Hopefully, I apologize if that sounds patronizing. That was meant purely in the best way. Uh, but just briefly, could you give us a, an introduction on, on how you started in uh, electromagnetism, electro, you know, electroengineering, and how you got to where uh, we are today, or where you are today? Well, first off, let me just thank both you and David, uh, you know, you, David, Matt, for that really kind introduction. It wasn't patronizing. So let me just say I'm very excited to be here today with you. Um, for those of you who are not familiar with me, I just want to start off and just say, how we got to this podcast, I want to really acknowledge, you know, so Matt, you and I have, have met each other a couple of times at the trade shows, and we have our mutual friend with uh, Janine Love, and she actually made this uh, a connection or this podcast happen. So thank you. A shout out to Janine. And Matt, again, Recently, we just met at the We4Me, so I'd like to uh, start with a few things uh, about who am I and how I got into uh, uh, engineering. So what do I do right now? Right now, I'm the uh, technical support manager for ANSYS uh, for the electronics and uh, uh, electromagnetic simulation products, and I've been there for eh, over a decade. And I've actually been involved with uh, EDA for even longer than that before I came to ANSYS. Now, before I came to ANSYS, I was a, a real engineer, right? I was a real filter design engineer. So I designed uh, cavity filters for many of our uh, major OEMs. And most of my day back then was in the lab tuning prototype filters. So I was more, more or less a hardware engineer. Now, I play with the keyboard, so I'm more of a, a software simulation engineer. So, you know. Sorry, Charlotte, I don't mean to interrupt you. And I, I appreciate your humility, but a lot of the folks that we, I know that Samtech works with at, at ANSYS, uh, we couldn't do what we do when we design high-speed interconnects without the support that you and a number of your colleagues at ANSYS give us. So uh, I appreciate your humility, but the skill set that you have as a, electromagnetism specialist has obviously defined your career for the last several years. Uh, so I'm really interested to understand, you know, what has enabled you to achieve so much uh, with that back. Cause that's not easy, right? I mean, I, I, I took my, my electric, I'm going to just, I'm going to tell myself for a second. Uh, the first time I took electromagnetism, my junior year of college, I failed. Um, and then I took it the second time in the summer with the grad assistant. And that's the only way that I passed. 
Uh, I actually wrote a blog on that. Um, not my not my most favorite moment, but it takes a certain skill set to understand. Uh, I was going to say Moore's laws, but Maxwell's equation. Excuse me. Uh, how do you do it? <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> how do you do it, Charlotte? What's what's the key? I don't know if I have the secret recipe or anything like that. And fortunately for a lot of people out there, you don't see all my gray hairs. It's a lot of sweat, tears, and it's like pulling your hair out. But let me tell you, it's not me who does it. It's my team. They are, they are really special, let me tell you. But they are hard to find. Your people, like, like you said, they're the key. Because you know what? It does. It does take a lot. It's not just electronics. It's not just electrical and electrical engineering. It's electromagnetics and how they uh, work with other physics. So we're not standalone physics. We're not just electrical engineering and that's it. And we don't care about anything else. We're also, you know, fluid dynamics and mechanical, you know, with, you know, thermal and, you know, mechanical uh, deformation, like I said, as a filter design engineer for cavity filters and any little perturbation, you know, any little dent in the housing, that made a big difference. And they were narrow bands. So the heat would just, you know, make the pass band move, you know, like, you know, higher or lower in frequency. So, you know what, it's hard to say, I'm going to this school and I'm going to catch this individual because one, it's, it is multi-physics. You have to at least have an appreciation for the other physics and not just say, I'm only electrical engineer and I only want to do simulation. You have to have a little bit of knowledge of that black magic that's happening in that uh, lab. You know, you can't just say, oh, I read the book and I know all of this. So that's why one, it, it, it does take a special person in um, aptitude and it also takes a special person to be outward facing. Most engineers, you know, I mean, the, the stereotype of an engineer. Well, they're very, you know, uh, studious. Their nose is always in a book. And if I, I, I will say that, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a book hoard. I have every book there is, okay? And I keep them. So, so we're not really outward facing. We're not extroverted. So again, we're taking a small subset of people who like engineering, who like electrical engineering and all the physics about it. And then we're saying, please be extroverted so that you can, you know, talk, talk to other folks and understand the problem and be empathetic. I mean, probably ANSYS, my employer would hate for me to say that, but be empathetic to, you know, where they are in their design process, you know, what they need to know, how much handholding or how much support we should be giving them. But I say empathetic because we all want, you know, new devices or new things or new designs out there. So the empathy part comes out. So how, how do you think, how do you find people who can do that? Because it's like you say, engineers aren't necessarily always the best people, people, if that makes sense. Um, I mean, yeah, we, we all know plenty of engineers who can, who can present brilliantly, but there's, it's not everyone's taste to be able to do that kind of thing. How do you identify these people who are going to be good engineers? And then, you know, by extension, who? how do we identify people who are going to be leaders of this engineering uh, world that we live in, in in 10, 15, 20 years time? 
you know, I wish I had, again, I wish I had the, the secret for that too in the recipe. One, let me just, what works for me is I have a group of, I don't want to say, let me say experienced people who've been in the industry for many years and they have a very diverse background in their experience, just maybe not SI or just not RF or, or platform analysis or thermal or mechanical, but they have a, a wealth of knowledge and scenarios that they learned while they were in an industry and or while they acquired as they've been using the, the tool. So we have experienced engineers. And where do I find the new engineers? Let me tell you, very hard pressed. I am a hiring manager and I'm not limited to North America. I, I do, we are global, so I do look worldwide. It's very hard because people will say on their resume, oh, I took electromagnetics. I really know Maxwell's equation. But the one thing that I like is not the knowledge of the equation, but the appreciations of the variables that are contained in Maxwell's equations. And if they can go and express to me that, then I know they're passionate about the subject and, and how our tools can work for them. But it's very, very hard to find that. When it's, you know, I could, I could go on my soapbox about, you know, the educational system. I think that, you know, simulation will only do as best as what is inputted into the tool. So again, where do I find the good engineers and who are going to lead to help mentor these new engineers? Is very hard, but our tools, which crosses a many different physics, needs that engineer behind the brains of that engineers behind, and 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 their understanding of the applications. So I don't, you know, it's definitely not push button. So I don't know what the recipe is, but when I do interview, you get that sixth sense, and it's you know it's it's because it's a team. I'm not looking always for the brightest person or who has taken that class, or who has used a tool. It's, can they work within our environment together within our team? I just need one person, like they always say, you know, you just need one bad apple and that's it. And I, I'm, I'm a firm believer in all the years that I've been uh, in the industry, you just need that one person and it just spoils it for the, for the rest. And, you know, my team is gold. So Charlotte, I, you know, it's, it's, I appreciate your, the personalization of the challenges that you're going through in finding technical talent. And I think that your personal experience, I think we all, all three of us can agree that the experience that you're uh, you know, detailing to us sort of exemplifies what a number of high tech companies are facing in terms of attracting technical talent, um, whether that's engineering, science, you know, STEM, right. Or STEAM as some people like to call it, uh, you know, for me, you know, some people ask me, you know, why did I get into a technical field? And, and frankly, it was just because math and science were not, you know, that just came second nature to me, you know, when I was growing up going through just, you know, high school and stuff here in the U.S. But, um, and then, you know, I, I had, you know, mentors along the way that kind of helped me, right? Um, I'm curious, maybe just to kind of turn that around, you know, you obviously have chosen to, to a career path in, in a, what, what we call a STEM industry or a STEAM industry. Uh, you know, what led, if you don't mind me asking, what led you to pursue, you know, a technical education or a technical career? Was there something that, what was the stimulus? I don't know if that's the right word, but you know, what was it that made Charlotte decide I'm going to go be an EM expert? When I went to select 
where I was going to go to college. They didn't have STEM. They didn't have the word STEM. So that'll just give you, I've been in, the, in this industry for decades. So we didn't have STEM. Okay. And back then we used to have um, high school guidance counselors and you know, you're in high school, you're, you're in high school. Do I know where I, what I want to do for the rest of my life? And so I had to pick a major in order for me to go to college. Honestly, um, I did, I had no clue. So I took a, uh, you know, the high school counselor said, oh, shall I take this aptitude test and let's see where it, where it lands. And then we can discuss a career path for you. So I take it. Oh, wow. You're great in math and science. And, you know, I was always going to say, even at that point to the guidance counselor, you know, well, what do you know? I'm coming out of the high school as a valedictorian and you're going to tell me I'm good in math and science. How the heck do you think I got here? So I was like, ah, oh, you know, just that's all I'll say about that. Well, so it says you're good in math and science. So, and then I said, okay, what are the salaries? So look at the salaries and there you go. So mine was not a, uh, a socially responsible decision. I was merely <laughs> motivated by the finances that engineers have good salaries. So, you know, coming out, you know, that's why I hesitated coming out of, uh, uh, so I was born, I was born in the projects in Newark, New Jersey. So coming from North America, not the greatest. That's why I was looking for that, you know, the dollar number. So that's how I got into it. And, you know, you look down, well, another little tidbit. Engineering. So why electrical and not mechanical, right? Because you hear a mechanical. Well, well, I was a little curious in my day. So I took, you know, again. I took that, you know, uh, uh, turn the mechanical uh, uh, clock. Well, I opened it up and the, the spring sprang and I looked at it. I tried to put it back and it didn't work. So I was, I didn't have the mechanical uh, uh, part in me. So it just went directly, it just suggested electrical. And I just found it, you know, interesting. I, you know, I, I appreciate your candor there. And I, I think a lot of the points you made have probably influenced a lot of engineers to get into uh, their particular major. Uh, and, you know, by happenstance, you and I have the same uh, background and, uh, you know, Dave probably has similar, similar viewpoints given his mechanical background. Um, but, you know, let's fast forward to today, right? You know, everyone agrees that there's a challenge, not, not only getting anyone into, you know, a STEM educational program, but even more so, you know, uh, women. Uh, and, and given that that's kind of the topic that, we, that we're talking about, I'd love to get your just, you know, your pulse on some of the challenges that, that women continue to face in our industry, unfortunately. And, you know, from your experience, you know, what has been done to improve things, if any? And if not, what could be done in the future, not only to, to attract more people to the, you know, to, to, to technical education so that we help to, you know, backfill next generation of, of engineers, but especially for, for women as well. I, I just love your two cents on that, Charlotte. Well, so, well, first off, Dave, I wish I knew you back then so I could put my clock back together. So and it wouldn't have been such a failure in that. But moving on to, I think right now we're doing pretty good. Okay, so yeah, yeah we need more women into engineering and we definitively need more people into engineering. We especially electromagnetics, which is, the, you know, 
is is the crux of most of our you know electronic simulation tools because you know what we're not seeing that on the undergrad level right we're not learning Maxwell's equation on the undergrad level we're really getting an appreciation on the graduate level so first we got to get women to get into engineering you know on the undergraduate level and then hope that both the women and the men decide to go on to graduate school and to learn electromagnetics so we got to get the fill in from the bottom. And not, like I said, I think we're doing well. You know, we had all the initiatives. Well, you know, how are we going to get women into engineering? And back in 2012, and that's when I really got started with the IEEE Women in Engineering and with the uh, Microwave Theory and uh, Technologies, the MTTS Society now, we had a subset called Women in Microwaves. And so we said, okay, we're going to start to encourage women to, you know, study engineering. And we're going to look at, you know, the STEM activities with kids, with girls. And, you know, it's saying it's cool to be a good, you know, a girl engineer. It's okay to be smart. It's not uncool to, you know, uh, like science and math. And so I think, you know, in the decades that, that has, you know, come and gone, we've gone, we've done better. I mean, it's not, a, you know... We didn't go from like 5% to 50%. You know, we're, we're slowly on the increase. We're about 20% and that's good, but we're steadily increasing. So we're doing a good job there. I mean, I saw some statistics too that, you know, there are more women that are going into school. And so we're the pool of people. That's the women. So, well, first we got to get them interested in it and we got to keep, and then we got to keep them. So how are we going to do that? Like I said, I think we're doing well on, you know, and we could always improve on the pre-college level, right? The next question is, how are we going to keep the women who do go in to engineering and keep them there? The same as like I was saying, I, I, I treat my experienced engineers like gold. We should be doing that for those women who are in the industry because they may come in and say, yeah, I love this. They come into, the, into a, a company. And they may hate what they're doing, but they may not have been adjusted to to the industry or what they were supposed to do. Okay, so we have to look both at the incoming pot, which I think we're doing good. And now we got to go and do the maintaining. Right. So we got to say, hey, you know, how do we keep you in the industry? What can we do for you? You know, not that is different from the men. But to, to help you so that you you won't decide to leave for another career and out of the industry. I mean, again, by studies, they say most of the women, they leave engineering because they're starting families, okay? So they're a different phase in their life. Well, you know what? doesn't mean that you start a family that you lose your engineering background. We really should have a program where it reintroduces the women back into the workforce that were there, who took time off, whether it's, you know, family, you know, personal matters, you know, but they already have the skill set. So let's look at the skill set and capitalize on that. That so that's one of the initiatives of of the of you know the We Forum East and IEEE Women Engineering is to look at women in all phases. We have STEM, you know, pre-college. We have one we call the young professionals, right? So the ones that are new to industry, how do we keep them engaged so that they don't leave, both men and women? And then we have the mid-career. So Again, all phases of life. So for, I think, getting the women into engineering, it's that mentorship. And it really was that 
let me get more women into it. I get more people that look like me so that I don't feel lonely in class or, you know, in a, and, you know, in an industry. I happen to be in industry, so maybe different in academia. So from my experience, I'm going to say from industry, there's not that many men. I mean, women, there's too many men. (laughs) So there are, uh, you know, not that many women, but nowadays I see a lot more women coming into the meetings. And, and so we are being very successful in that. So we need to maintain the women who are experienced in, in industry and still highlight them and show appreciation. So this way we're feeding the front lines. They do have a mentor or leader in, in people who are experienced and, you know, hopefully the cycle will repeat, you know, that sounds like it's, it's, uh, um, the correct recipe, but you know what? It always diverts. There's always a roadblock and we just have to go around it and just go forward. How, um, Charlotte, if you don't mind me asking, how, have, how have, I'm, I'm assuming you've had mentors. It seems like I, I know I've had several that have helped me in various aspects. How have mentors helped you? If you don't mind me asking. Oh, I had, you know, let me tell you. So I, I graduated from uh, college first with a, a bachelor's degree. And at that time, you know, you get several uh, um, um, offers to work. I happened to be offered, uh, I got an offer from a larger defense company that's still in business today. And I go there and they have this work program, you know, they, they have this internship program where a group of, you know, new hires come in. Now, when you say I needed a mentor, man, was that a rude awakening? My first mentor was a technician because he had to sit there teach me after hours how to to do all things to solder. You can't do anything without learning the, you know, the hands-on and being there in in, in the solder. So I had to learn to solder. And that was the first place. That was my very first job. I had to learn such basics as that. Okay. Because you're doing, you're doing the grunt work, you know, because that's how you learn. And then when I went to my second job and I stayed at this first company for several years. Okay. So maybe less than five years. I went to the second company. Similar type of industry, but a commercial. So I go to this commercial uh, company. It wasn't, you know, large components. They started working on semiconductors. And I was going to, I literally was going to quit that first day because they threw me in a bunny suit into the uh, clean room. I, no experience, just like before. Didn't know how to solder. And I didn't, yeah, I was never in the clean room. And on both ends, I had mentors were more than willing to help out a woman. So they were both men who were there, you know, to help me. The first one was younger and the second one was a little older, but you know what? It was, they were my mentors. And if I would not be here today, if they did not, if they were not willing to help me, they could have just sat on the side and laughed and say, Oh, look at this one. She's coming in with a degree. She can't even solder. Oh, she had all this experience and she was never in the clean room. But they were people who reached out. Maybe they were empathetic and they felt bad for me. But, you know, they, they were my mentors. They were the people who were, you know, on the grounds helping me out. They, you know, it was the, it was the engineer's level. They say, well, mentors should be, you know, maybe on the managerial levels. Yeah, that's a certain type of mentorship. But the practical, the ones that are in the lab that are working, those, those I think are my strongest, strongest mentors. And they really... Lasting impression because why am I here today? It's because of them. It's not my professors. I can't say that I couldn't do it without them, but I'd give more uh, uh, credibility to my uh, mentors, my working mentors. 
we talked earlier before we, we started the recording, and I know you've got some fairly strong opinions about the educational system. Does that mean, do you think we are emphasising the wrong things for our undergraduates? Um, I, I use I use my, my wife as an example. My wife did a, an industrial design degree at a university here in the UK. And one of the things that I was always impressed by when she told me about what they did in their course is that they spent a good bunch of time learning how to manipulate the materials it's impossible to be uh, an industrial designer without an understanding of how the product you designed is going to be manufactured you could come up with the, the the most wonderful thing in the world and then when it gets to the production line the guys on the production line turn and say there's no way we can actually make this so the degree was was very much had that in mind and it sort of built up from from the basics up to then being the creative person do you think we need to do more of that in in should we say more pure in engineering courses oh i de- you know i de- i definitely have strong opinions about our educational system and again me as an outsider looking in and i'm sure there are professors out there that are going down the track but just like you said it's the application you know if you're going in for engineering the assumption is already made that you you can learn you you could learn very well and you can learn anything but it's the application. And like at the end, you know, if the materials don't fit or you can't make it because the didn't make the tolerances of the manufacturing machine, you're never going to make it. So why don't we start a little bit, you know, uh, um, from the application down to the theory instead of just throwing out the theory. You know, I have four kids. I have five grandchildren. And my kid, my grandkids are always on, you know, their phones and their, some have iPads and they have that, uh, the heck is that the, the the one game that they have anyway so they sp- play their sports game i forgot what it's called already but anyway so th- they play that so they need instant gratification and what we need to do as parents and grandparents is to take those devices away and say you know what you can entertain yourself without that device slow down open a book or just sit there and just think i don't think they have downtime so you know, when we look at it, we all want instant gratification. We want all these devices. And I'm, I am definitively a user of technology. I love every gadget that comes out. And I'll be the first one out there buying it just to see what they do. Okay, So I'm a lover of gadgets, but we need the people behind it to make sure that it's manufacturable, that it can indeed be created. And there are so many different scenarios out there. You can't understand it at all understand everything about it but we have tools that that can enable you to understand what's going out there so yeah i think that the to get students to get to get the people into school let us focus on the application hey you know there's this new gadget do you want to learn how to make it well let me show you one part of it and then go back down to the fundamentals because you got to grab their attention or else you know what uh, their attention is like, okay, who could move the fastest, you know, who could get over the fence or whatever, the, you know, the iPad or the the phone is doing. You know, it, it's interesting that you bring that up, Charlotte. Um, you know, my, my son just graduated high school and uh, he's pursuing a career in the culinary arts uh, now. But I remember uh, when he was in kindergarten, I kind of had show and tell, you know, bring dad to, you know, bring, bring a parent to, to school day. And uh, I just, I don't know why I did this, but I went out and bought a brand new uh, Wii because that was the game. That was the gaming platform of choice. 
uh, back at the time. And I just brought it in and let the kids, you know, just let the kids play. I let, I asked the teacher's permission first, but I just brought it in and let the kids play. And I asked the kid, you know, once they were playing, we were playing like wee bowling and whatever. So it was very interactive. Everybody's having fun. The teacher were, was competing against the kids, et cetera, et cetera. So after a few minutes, I said, who makes a we? Like who's, who's like you said, the, the brains behind it. Who's the brains behind making a we? And most of the kids said scientists, right? Okay. These are all like five, six year olds. And I said, well, have any of you heard of an engineer? And the one, the one, the, the young one, the one young man said innocently, you mean like the guy, the guy or the girl that drives the train? I said, well, that is a type of engineer, but it, it opened, it, it opened up this entire conversation, at least for the 30 minutes that we had to talk about what engineers do, right? We talked about the electrical engineers and we talked about the mechanical engineers and the, in the, in the uh, software, you know, the entire ecosystem of, of folks that went, that went behind it. And I was, I was pleasantly surprised. I didn't know what to expect. I was pleasantly surprised to see that these young minds at five, six years old were like, ah, there's, there are the, to use your term, uh, Charlotte, the brains behind the system or the brains behind the application. And, and I'm not saying that uh, every young person, you know, young, young men, young women are, will get into STEM or get into the technology industry because they play video games. But I think the point that you make there is spot on, right? I, I felt fortunate that the university I went to when I got my electrical engineering degree stressed a hands-on education. Of course, we had to have the theory uh, because we had, to, we had to understand the basics of electrical engineering, et cetera, et cetera. But I was so happy that I had had, I don't know, half a dozen or more lab classes as well as some associated research projects that gave me the, the at least a baseline for how engineering works. Um, to use your point, I at least had some solder lessons in college to help me early in my career. No, granted, I stunk at it. I stunk at it because I had to, have, like you, I had to have a real technician actually teach me how to do board level soldering once I started my career. But without that application engineering and where everything was kind of hands-on touchy-feely, even in the electrical domain, that's what made engineering real to me. And it's, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear that from your perspective, that if we can get more application-based training, it doesn't necessarily have to be theory, right? You and I talked too, I think all three of us talked about how we've all come across people in our engineering or our technical careers that were great engineers, but not necessarily, they didn't necessarily have a formal engineering degree, right? They had just learned the skill sets by experience, by, by doing. Um, early in my career, uh, I was working for a, a major a medical device manufacturer. And one of the, the engineering mentors I had was a, was a gentleman, probably about 25 years older than me at the time. But he didn't have a, he didn't have a, he had a two-year associate's degree. But he could design around anyone in the company that had a four-year degree or even some master's level or some PhD level engineers. Uh, so that point that you make about having hands-on application-based, I think is essential, not only to attract people to engineering and STEM, but to, uh, uh, you know, the technical careers as well. So, yeah, I thought that was a great point that you made. I had a question here, but I kind of talked myself into a hole. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> But I guess that's what we do on podcasts. Well, I was I was going to say, taking up what you've said, said Matt, that there are we've we've all probably come across them, but and and history is littered with with instinctive engineers. You hear people talk about this, where kind of the art and the science of things kind of blend, 
and you come across engineers and designers who just seem to have an instinctive feel for what they're doing. I'm, I'm, I've been interested in aviation for, for years and years and years. And I look, look at the, the sort of the explosion of, of new designs that came about in the 50s and 60s. And, and you hear, if you look into the history, you hear some of these names that keep coming back that they designed this plane and this plane and this plane. And this was all being done with paper and slide rules. And they just seem to have a feel for how to make something, whether it's go faster, go f- higher, whatever it happens to be. But it doesn't have to be in aviation. There's, there's, there's plenty of examples. Uh, and and I think, Matt, I think your point there is these people don't necessarily have the the most extensive formal education, but we need to make sure that if someone comes into our sphere of influence in the industry, that we nurture them, that we give them the chance. They might not have a degree. They might not have the, the degree in the right topic. But if they've got a feel for something, we've got to encourage. I, I hate to think that I'm one of the elders of the industry. I'm not. I've been knocking around for a bit. But at the same time, if somebody comes in, I mean, I've, I've, I've come across people who, who've been, they've been internal salespeople. And they just seem to, you know, in our world, in the connectors world, they seem to have a, a little spark, just a little bit more interest in the connectors than maybe some of the other products. And you just you try and help them. Great. Without being over enthusiastic at them, because you can't bore them to death. But you've just got to say, well, yeah, that's brilliant. Let's try it. And funny enough, um, there's a guy who works for Samtech UK who I met at a previous company, uh, who who's just coming on and and he's you know he's he's brilliant. And there's other people I've met, both male and female, who they just seem to have that little spark extra. And we've got to do the best we can, whether we're in the leadership position or not. We just got to help them and, and encourage them, don't we? Well, that's what engineering is, right? I mean, I think what sometimes we lose sight, engineers are using their creativity to create or better products that we use because it's it's not a theory that we're looking for. It's something that we, you know, that we use, right? There's, there, there's, a, there's an application and a product or a commodity that we want to go after and there's a creativity. Well, if we flood everybody with equations and uh, and formulas, it's supposed to go like this, this, and this. You know what? We just we just close that box. We're supposed to be added a box thinker. So if we force a box, we kind of shape and mold them. You know, that's why I said, you know, let the kids play. Let them imagine it and think out of the box because that's the essence of engineering. How do you recreate something that already exists and make it better? You know, what if, you know, I tried this, hey, you know what, engineers should all be our entrepreneurs, right? Because we want to think out of their box, right? We want to re- redo something else, right? We don't, we don't want to be pushing buttons and doing, reevaluating the formulas and getting all this data that all the data scientists want. You know, we're engineers. That's why we're here is because we want to use our creativity and, and think a different way. And we should be proud of that. I think we probably need to draw a halt to this conversation at that point i have a feeling that the three of us could probably go on for far longer um and and charlotte certainly from my point of view i would be more than happy uh for you to come back onto the podcast and talk about this or or any other aspect of of engineering and and learning to be an engineer um but certainly i that that kind of final thought to me sums up what we've we've got to try and encourage in people who are coming into the industry people who are in the industry and, and and make the best use of those people that we've got and just try and develop them and, and bring them to the 
to the place where they're happiest because when they're happiest they're going to be the ones that are designing the products that we need and I certainly agree. I think I, I had Matt's here for quite some time a, a couple of weeks ago. So I would, you know, yep, I think we could uh, pick another subject and sit over, you know, and discuss another at least half hour to an hour. I am sure of that. Charlie, it's been great talking with you. Thanks so much for being uh, on our, our podcast. I think you're the first person outside of Samtech officially that we've had on the Samtech transmission line. So congratulations. <laughs> And, Thank you. <laughs> you know, I, I, I second David's invitation to come back, and, and we hope that you're the first of many, uh, you know, thought leaders. Uh, I hate to use the term influencer in the, in the technology world, but you know, we, we do have technology influencers, uh, and 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 again, expand upon and, and, and pick other topics that are near and dear to uh, so many people in the industry. So thank you again for being with us. We really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. I, I Again, a shout out to Janine for introducing us again and saying, yep, let, let's go for this. So again, it's, it's all about mentorship and networking. So thank you. And thank you all for listening. Um, please do get involved. We'd love to hear what your experiences of, of getting into the world of engineering or getting into the world of technology. There are many paths and there are many ways of getting involved. Um, I'm a Lego kid. That's how I came to, to the mechanical side of things. But everybody's got a different story, something that, that inspires them to this. Please leave a comment. Let us know what your experience is. Uh, Matt and I look forward to welcoming you again to the next podcast. Uh, tune in next time. But until then, please share us with your colleagues. Uh, please leave us a like and maybe even subscribe to the channel. We look forward to welcoming you again on the Samtech Transmission Line podcast next time. See you soon.